great honor and privilege to be able to introduce our guest today. Um, I want to introduce you to my pastor. This is Pastor Rich Guerra, who is the district superintendent over the Southern California Network of the Assemblies of God. Pastor Rich has been in ministry over 43 years. His wife, come on, it is amazing. He is married to Connie, who unfortunately was fulfilling some grandmotherly duties today and could not be with us. How many people know that when grandma's called, grandma steps up, right? They've been married for 43 years and have three incredible children, Ryan, Andrew, and Lindsay, and they have six grandchildren. I know, you know, when, when we have guests and we can go through all of the great, incredible things that they've done in ministry, but you know what? He is a pastor to pastors. He is a husband, a dad, and a friend, and I want you to welcome Pastor Rich Guerra this morning. Amen. Pastor Craig, stay up here, and Renee, would you come, Pastor? Thank you so much. I am so blessed to be here. Matter of fact, this is a great church. Uh, it has a great history. Matter of fact, uh, it was in the mid-80s. I was the youth ministries director when they asked me to come and speak here. So it's only taken like 35 years for a second invitation, but I'm glad I'm here. Uh, I want to take a moment to recognize your pastors. Last year was a difficult year. How many can say amen to that? I oversee 495 churches and navigating through this pandemic and closed services and online and all of this has been quite a challenge. But this pandemic didn't expose how corrupt our government is. We've always known it was corrupt. How many can say amen to that? It was corrupt in Jesus's day. Matter of fact, did you know that in the early church, because of the Roman persecution, they estimated that the population of Jerusalem was 100,000. In 25 years, half of the city became followers of Jesus Christ. In the midst of great persecution, the church grew. And I believe that's what God had in plan. It didn't expose the corrupt government. Maybe it exposed maybe some of the apathy of the local church. Maybe it forced us to go out in the community and look for those that were shut-ins or elderly or those that were struggling. And this church has a history over the last 15 years of going out and helping people in this community. And last year, this church gave over 98,000 pounds of food and have helped almost 11,000 families. You need to be applauded for the work that you've done in this community. And because of that, I have an award that I'd like to give, and I call it our Superintendent Compassion Award. Uh, La Mesa Cross Point Life Church, thank you for demonstrating the love of Jesus to your community. And may God continue to bless you as you continue to bless others. You know, we are great Matthew 28 people. Matter of fact, Matthew 28 is go into the world and preach the gospel. I met a great man of God, Pastor Godwin. His brother David and Doris Godwin are incredible missionaries. Gone over. The we are the greatest missionary organization in the world. Did you know that today, right now, there are 70 million people worshiping God in an Assembly of God church around the world? 70 million. 
From 1914, we started at 300, now we're 70 million. They say every 43 seconds, someone is giving their heart to Jesus Christ in an Assembly God church around the world. That's the good news. The bad news is, of that 70 million, 67 million live overseas. And less than 3 million live in the United States. They say the United States of America is the third most lost nation in the world. I believe that right here in America is a great mission field. Right here in La Mesa is a great mission field. That's why we're not only Matthew 28 people, we're Matthew 25 people. Where it says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. Thank you for being a Matthew 25 church. And I'd like to present this to you. And I also have, from Connie and I, a birthday card for Pastor Renee. So, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. As I said, I am, I am both humbled and honored to be here. I tell people all the time, my grandparents came from Mexico. My dad was a gardener, and today I'm the superintendent of the Summers of God. What a great God we serve, man. I'm just, like, humbled to be here, and, and I thank God that uh, I can say I love the church. I'm a product of the church. My grandfather, once he came to faith, he began one of the, few, one of the first Spanish-speaking Pentecostal churches in the San Fernando Valley, and at the age of five years old, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know why I waited so long, but at five years old, I said, I'm going to get serious and give my life to Jesus. So today, I don't have a testimony on how to overcome drugs because I've never taken drugs. I can't tell you how to be delivered from alcohol because, well, that's not true. Every once in a while, I take a shot at NyQuil. We call that Pentecostal whiskey in our house, but that's like the strongest drink I've ever had. I've never gotten in trouble with the law. You can, what can you tell me? I can say this that the promises of God are real, that the saving power of Jesus can keep you all the days of your life. That's why I am so thankful to be here with you. As I said, last year was quite a year, and as I oversee the churches from Fresno down to the Mexican border and are familiar with the churches across America, they estimate that because of the pandemic or in 19 or 2019, the year before last year, they estimated anywhere from 4,000 to 8,000 churches closed their doors a year. That's 50 to 175 churches a week are no longer going to be open because of what we've gone through. How many believe that, uh, you know, Cross Point Life Church will no longer be a church? That this will be a 7-Eleven or apartment con- You don't believe that, do you? No, you don't. Well, neither did those 8,000 churches. What happened? See, I'm a believer in the church. I'm a product of the church. See, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He's coming back for the church. I'm so thankful to you that are watching online. and God bless you. But you are called to believe and belong. We miss you. We miss hugging you. We miss praying for you. We miss laughing with you. We're encouraging you. We gather as a 
light into this community. I believe God has a prophetic word for this church, for this community. But will it survive? What will it take for this church to really make this impact that I believe God has called your church to be? Well, you see, I believe that God has placed the church in the community to impact communities. And I believe your church will make an impact in this community until Jesus returns. But how can you be sure that your church will be that kind of church? Quickly, if you have a Bible, turn it to Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 13. You've heard this story. What does it mean to be a church for the community? Will this church make an impact? Or will it be like the 50 to 175 churches a week in America that will close its doors. I think the day is urgent, and I realize that people are still hesitant to come back to church, and thank you for being online, but will the church survive in America? Will the church survive here in La Mesa? I believe this verse gives us the key, and it starts with this. One Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by an evil spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you have set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. What a great story, right? You've heard it many times. And yet this is a pattern for the church today in America. As far as I'm concerned, whether we're going to impact communities And I believe that's your heart for this church. And I know your pastors, that's their heart, as we will install them officially as the pastors of Life Point, of Cross Cross Point Life Church in just a moment. Let me give you a little historical background about this story. Jesus at the height of his his, his height of his ministry. Literally thousands of people are following him. You remember the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? You remember that story? Well, there wasn't 5,000. It was probably 15, 20,000. The 5,000 were just the men. And these men were probably like, like good, uh, you know, Hispanic men. They probably had a dozen kids, you know, and being Hispanic, I can say that. And so uh, there was probably 20,000 people that were following Jesus. And when he would come into a village, he would stop and find the the synagogue, and he would teach in the synagogue. Now, I've been to Israel on a number of occasions, and the synagogues were no bigger than this room. This would be the average size of a synagogue there in the New Testament times. The difference is there are no chairs in the synagogue. So we're going to be biblical today, and we're going to remove all the chairs. The only chair was for the teacher. He would sit and teach from God's word for hours, and they would stand and listen. Now, relax. We're not going to do that, but I want to prove a point. That here, there are thousands of people following Jesus. He makes his way into the synagogue. They crowd shoulder to shoulder, standing in the synagogue as Jesus is seated, teaching from the word of God. And we see the greatest miracle perhaps recorded in the Bible, and it was this. Jesus saw the woman. How could he see her? They're in a crowded room. It says she is bent double because of some evil spirit that had made her influent all of her life. But Jesus sees her. And I'm here to tell you today 
There are seven billion people on this planet, and Jesus sees you. He sees your tears. He hears your cry. He sees you. So if you want to be a church for this community, number one, you have to be willing to see people around you. They're all around you. There are people that are there around you that need Jesus. They're here in La Mesa. And yet my question is, do you see them? They'll be the waitress that will bring your lunch. They'll be your grocery clerk that will check your groceries. The mailman who will deliver your mail. But do you see them? Or are you so wrapped up in your need that you forget there are people around us that need Jesus? The Bible says in Matthew 9.36 that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you see them? I used to tell my people when I pastored, I want you to bring your unsaved friends to church. They would say, Pastor, we don't know any unsaved people. I said, what? You don't know them? They live, they, they work with you. They live across the street from you. Some of them live in their own, your own house, but you don't know them because you don't see them. Let me give you some statistics that I looked up. That there are in a five-mile radius just around this church, just five miles around this church, there lives 439,359 people. Almost 440,000 people live within a five-mile radius of this church. Think about it. They say by 2031, there will be 455,000 people that will live within five miles of this church. Now, of those 440,000, we know because of census that only 20% of those 440,000 say they go to church. Think about it. You know, they might just come for Easter and Christmas, but they think they're churchgoers. And a man in my church say, Pastor, every time I come to church, you preach the same message. I said, because you only come at Christmas time, that's why. Come on. But they think they're, so 20%, listen to me, Say they go to church, 20% of those 440,000 have stopped coming to church. How many know people that used to come to church that no longer come to church? Come on, raise your hand. You know someone? They got their feelings hurt. Someone said something. You know, we're all a bunch of hypocrites. You know, whatever. You know, I had a lady in my church say, Pastor, every time I come to church, this lady in the church gives me a dirty look. I said, what? Oh, yeah, she gives me a dirty look. I said, sister, that's just the way she looks. Everyone has an excuse why they don't come to church. So listen, 20% say they go to church. 20% have stopped coming to church. But listen to me. 60% of those 440,000 people don't come to church. And the number one reason is no one has ever invited me to church. Think about it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many people did you invite? Say, man, I'll come pick you up. We just don't do it. And think about it. There are 440,000 people. 60% would come if we would just see them. If we just see them. Jesus saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. We're going to be a church for this community. You're going to have to see people around you. But secondly, our story tells, not only do you need to see people around you, you need to take a risk with the people around you. Think about this story. This woman, 
who had been crippled by this evil spirit for 18 years, you know, she's, she decides to come to the synagogue. Now, I don't know how many demon-possessed people are here today. You know, if you are, after the service, Pastor Craig is going to exercise. Now, she takes a risk. I mean, everybody knew who she was. How would you like to be the demon-possessed woman of La Mesa, right? They knew who she was. But she makes her way. She takes a risk and comes to the synagogue. And Jesus takes a risk and calls her out. Don't you think, you know, she could have said, no, Lord, you know, I kind of like my condition. I've kind of gotten used to it. I can see all the loose change that people drop on the ground. That's this woman takes a risk and Jesus takes a risk and bam, a miracle happens. Don't you think we should take a risk in people who live in this community? People that are unloved, unwanted, they don't look like you, they don't talk like you, they don't smell like you. Aren't you glad that Jesus took a risk on you? <laughs> Looking at some of you, he took a big risk, right? Churches that impact community not only see people, they're constantly taking a risk. Well, Pastor Rich, we've always done it this way. We've always sang these songs. We've always done it. We've always, well, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> Maybe we need to take a risk, man. If, if giving Egg McMuffins away would get people to church, I'd give them Egg McMuffins. You've got to be willing to take a risk. You see that, that great, bold demonstration of love of God. He's willing to take a risk on people who are outsiders, who are broken, who are lost, who are infirm. Jesus always takes risks, and he's asking the church. That's why I applaud you for the boxes of food and the wonderful expressions of love in this community. You took a risk. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Rich, I took a risk, and I invited my boss to church, to a, to a Christmas or Easter, and he barked at me like a dog. Oh, man, he's a mean man. He, he barked at me. I took a risk, and, and people criticized me, and, and, and I'm, I'm afraid to take a risk again. Well, notice Matthew 5, 46 and 47. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? In other words, you've got to take a risk with people who have hurt you. People who have said things about you. You keep taking a risk. I used to have a neighbor where I used to live, and he was always on me. As I said, my dad was a gardener, and so uh, I always have his, like, voice telling me, your yard needs work, you know. And so I'd always be working in the yard, and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd wave at my, my, my friend and, and uh He'd always never responded, never was friendly, never, you know, if I'd say, hey, how you doing? And he'd always complain, you know, your dog is barked. Well, you know, it's a dog. That's why, you know, uh, you know, or the bushes were too high or whatever. And one day I'm pushing my, uh, my can out on the curb. And at the same time, he's pushing his can on the curb for the, for the trash man to come by and say, hey, friend. How are you? Knowing he wasn't going to respond. And he says this. I need to speak to you. I'm thinking, oh, now what? 
He said, my wife got some bad news from the doctor. Do you think maybe you and your church would consider praying for her? You think that just happens? Or when you take a risk on someone, especially those that have hurt you, how God prepares the way to use you to bring them into faith. You've got to be willing to take a risk. But thirdly, not only you got to see people around you, not only got to take a risk with people around you, you really want to be a church that impacts this community, you've got to reach out to the people around you. Every church, I ask them, what's the best thing about your church? They say this. Number one answer is, we are friendly people. Now, the problem is that you got to have to stumble into that church building to find the most friendly people because outside this building, they're not too friendly. I mean, I preach for a living. I preach in a different Assembly of God church every Sunday. And I'm convinced in some of our churches, not this one, but some of our churches, instead of water in the baptistry, they put pickle juice because of the sour looks I see on people's faces. Don't you think we should be the happiest people on the face of the earth? Don't you think we have more joy than the guy who got drunk at the bar last night? Well, are we? Do we demonstrate that? Are we really willing to reach out and be the church in the community? I know that you think, but Lord, what can we do? Well, do you know that there are more people in this room than Jesus had disciples? He only had 12. Really, he had 11. One guy flaked out on him. And 11, and then finally 12, they turned the world upside down. There are enough people in this room to touch all of La Mesa. The problem is not everybody's reaching out. <laughs> oh, Pastor, I used to serve. I used to sing. I used to, I used to, I, but now, but now I'm retired. I had one man tell me that one time. What? Oh, yeah, I'm retired. I said, you what? I'm retired. I said, you know, friend, I looked up the Hebrew word for retirement, and it's the word dead. That's what it is. <laughs> hey, look at look at yourself. Abraham served, Abraham served, he died. Moses served, he died. Joshua, David, they all served, they died. My grandpa preached, he was 87 years old. He goes home, reads his Bible, places it on his chest, and he opens his eyes in the presence of God. We all have to get involved. We all have to reach. We all have to say, this is my church. And every believer is a ministry, minister, and every ministry is important. What is your ministry? We all have to reach together. The problem with the church in America is they're not all reaching out. We got a pastor, and, and, and let the pastor and his wife do all the reaching. I used to pastor in the inner city of Las Vegas, a mile from the Strip. How many have ever been to Las Vegas before? Raise your hand. Shame on you. What are you doing in Las Vegas for? No, I say that every time. And you think it's hot here. You people don't know heat until you live in Las Vegas. Every summer, there'd be some newscaster frying an egg on, a, on the sidewalk. Like, why did they do that? Every, we know it's hot. And I'd always feel sorry for people that were hitchhiking because they would gamble all their money and gamble their bus ticket home away. So I'd pull over and offer them a ride. And on their way, talking about their life, you know what? You know what happened, Pastor Craig? Not one of them ever offered to pay for my gas or make my car payment or pay for my insurance. But they sure enjoyed the ride. The Church of America, come on. We got a bunch of hitchhikers. 
Now, if you're visiting here, you're just along for the ride. Man, that's all we want. You don't have to give a dime. You don't have to, you just be, but eventually, someone's going to say, I want to be a part of the team that's reaching out. But, you, but, but Pastor, I used to serve, and they didn't give me a badge. They didn't give me a badge. They didn't, they didn't thank us. Notice what Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, Christ God forgave you. The problem is we've got to forgive, and we've got to unite, and we all have to reach out. Quickly, I've got to come to a conclusion, but quickly, in this story about reaching out, we know that Jesus spoke to the woman. He, he, he first, he spoke to the woman. He calls her out, woman. You know, later on in our story, he calls her a daughter of Abraham. Now, I don't know if any Jewish people here in the house, you're Jewish, you got a Jewish background, you, you ate a kosher hot dog one time. Okay, you go, okay. So he calls her a daughter of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham is like, like the, the, the father of their nation. Why does he call her a daughter of Abraham? Because for 18 years she's been known as the demonic woman. Some of you have been walking around cursed. Man, that prophetic word earlier was for you. Someone said you're no good, you're unlovable, you'll never amount to anything. And you walk into the house of God. And he calls you a son and daughter. You get an opportunity. He speaks to this woman. But then he, it says he, 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 he touched the woman. He touched her. He calls her forward. Why did he, why couldn't he said, hey, you woman, aisle 10, seat 3, you're healed. He actually has her come forward and touch her because I'm convinced she never experienced a loving touch in her life. How many people in this community have never experienced a loving touch? They've been abused. They've been victims. And they're wanting someone to reach out in the love of God for them. That's where you and I come in. You've got to be able to see people around. You've got to be able to take a risk. Let's, 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 let's take a risk. You've got to be able to reach out in the love of God. But once you decide to be a church for the community, in our story... You got to be willing to accept criticism from people around you. You got to accept criticism. Notice our story. Get to Luke 13, starting with verse 14. Notice this is incredible. It says, Indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. <laughs> Let's stop right there. <laughs> Does that seem kind of strange to you or what? This synagogue. Ruler had like the greatest miracle in the history of his synagogue. And he said, hey, 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 hey. There'll be no healing in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Does that seem a little strange to you? It happens in our churches every Sunday. People come in hurting. People come in broken. And they leave the same condition because they're afraid they're going to be criticized. What if I tell someone my marriage is a mess, that my son is on drugs, that my daughter has run away? Friend, I've been criticized all my ministry life. When I was a pastor, I was criticized. 
When I was a presbyter, I was criticized. When I was an executive presbyter, I was criticized. When I was the assistant superintendent, I was criticized. Now I'm the superintendent, and if you would read my email, you would weep with the amount of criticism I got. But friend, I'm going to stand before Jesus. And I'm not going to be able to use God I was criticized. That's why I didn't do what you called me to do. Jesus was criticized. You will be criticized for reaching people no one else wants. But notice Jesus' response. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Jesus never called a sinner a hypocrite. He called religious people hypocrites. My prayer is, oh God, don't call us hypocrites. Because, Lord, there are needs all around us. And we ignored them. We refused to see them, take a risk, reach out, and embrace them. You're going to be criticized. It says the Son of Man came eating and drinking. You say, the here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. May God say the same thing about us. That we care so much that regardless of your condition, we're going to love you with the love of Jesus. And finally, I'll end with this. Want to be a church that really impacts this community? You've got to be willing to see people around you. They're around you every day. They'll be with you. They'll be around you today, this afternoon. Don't miss them. If you can't take a risk, at least pray for them. But then take a risk. Say, how are you? Can I pray for you? How's your day going? You've got to reach out to them in tangible ways. You've got to say... How can I help you? What do you need? What can I do for you? you got to be willing that some people are going to criticize you, and that's okay because Jesus is on your side. Then finally, you got to be spontaneous with the people around you. Notice our story. He said he saw the woman, and he said to her, woman, he called her out. It's now, she could have said you know, I hear like Peter is uh, preaching next week, and I hear he has the shadow ministry, so I'll wait next week before I come up and get my miracle. We talk ourselves out of God's blessing every service. God is speaking to you today. He's speaking to you about your life, about your relationships, about something in your life that needs to be surrendered, but you say, Lord, not today. Now, God still loves you. But you missed not being spontaneous when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. There are days I've had to come and kneel at an altar and say, God, forgive me. You told me to do something. And I said, Lord, not today. He still loves me. Will you be spontaneous? I got to end. My, my grandpa, I, don't, I wish when I come back another 15, 20 years when you invite me back, I'll tell you about my grandfather. He was my hero. I mean, think about it. My grandpa was 65 years old when I was born. That the greatest influencer in my life was a senior citizen. My grandpa loved me. I think he learned English to talk to his grandson who didn't know how to speak Spanish. He loved me so much. He pastored this church. At five years old, I gave my life to Jesus in this church. Listen to me. When I was in Bible college, I get a call from my mom and dad that my grandpa had passed away. He had passed away, and they said, son, your grandpa loved you, 
so much that he asked if when he passed away, he wanted you to speak at his funeral. I love my grandpa. He not only taught me how to throw a curveball, he demonstrated what a man of God was. And so I drive home and my family and my relatives are in our living room. They're telling stories about my grandpa and they tell a story that I had never heard before. As I said, my grandparents came from Mexico. They had uh, nine children. They had 11, but two had died at birth and they come to try to find a way to make it here. And my grandpa and his family started picking vegetables and fruits out in the fields. I pastored in the inner... In, the, in Visalia, in the center of California, and I used to drive by and see all those pickers out there. That's how my grandpa started. He finally made enough money. He could lease his own piece of property, and he started growing crops to the point where he could buy a piece of property, and he was growing crops, and he was making I'm hearing the story for the first time, and they said, but someone had told your grandpa that he would take those crops, and instead of selling them, that he would put it in his bathtub and uh, let it sit for a while, he could make more money being a bootlegger, making alcohol in his bath. I said, what? Not my grandpa. My grandpa was a man of God. My, he said, well, he didn't know God then. And so he starts making liquor in his bathtub. And the problem was he started drinking his profits and he became an alcoholic. I said, no, wait, wait, wait. You're destroying the image of my grandpa. He said, well, he didn't know Jesus. He became an alcoholic and he loses everything. His wife, my grandma, was so depressed from her house about two blocks away. They see, they see this circus tent. She said, I'm going to go to the circus. But it wasn't a circus. It was a crusade. She walks into this tent, and she hears the preacher say, today, you can be forgiven of your sin. Today, you can be set free from bind you. Today, you can have new purpose and meaning in your life. And my grandma raises her hand. She comes forward and gives her life to Jesus Christ. She runs home to tell her husband, my grandpa. And he says, God is no friend of ours. And if you go back, I'm going to drag you out by your hair and embarrass you in front of your friends. Being the stubborn little Mexican grandma that she was, she goes back the second night. They tell the story that my grandpa was in his angry, drunken mood. He says, I'm going to drag her out. But before he grabs his gun, he says, I'm going to shoot the preacher, and then I'm going to drag her out. I hope none of you came with a gun today. And as he's walking to the tent, I'm hearing this for the first time. He's walking to the tent. It starts raining. It starts pouring. He gets inside the tent. And he says, as soon as it starts raining, stops raining, I'm going to shoot this preacher, and I'm going to drag this woman out by her hair, and he hears these words. Today, you can be forgiven of your sin. Today, you can be set free from what binds you. Today, you can have new purpose and meaning in your life. And my grandpa starts crying. He says, dear God, I've made a mess of my life. I've made a mess of my marriage and my family. Will you give me a chance? And he walks down a, a, a sawdust aisle and kneels on a sawdust altar. And that night, my grandpa gave his life to Jesus. He's instantly delivered from alcohol. And he's called to be a minister of the gospel all in the same night. He gets up and he tells his wife, my grandma, God saved me. And he's called us to be ministers. 
He didn't know what that meant. He just knew he needed a building. Across the street from his house was a condemned dance hall. He buys it and he turns it into a Pentecostal church. At the age of five years old, I gave my life to Jesus in a dance hall. And I've been dancing for Jesus ever since. What would happen to you, to your marriage, to your family, if you would be spontaneous today? If you would give your life to Jesus, if you would ask him to set you free, it might have to be drugs or alcohol, it could be bitterness and unforgiveness. That action, my grandpa saved all nine kids, all his grandkids, my kids, my grandchildren, because of one man's decision. What would happen to you today? Today can be the greatest day of your life because Jesus sees Jesus calls, and Jesus comforts if you'll ask him. Would you bow in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, so thankful for this church, so thankful for pastors of this church. God, maybe there's someone here today who would say, Pastor Rich, I need to be spontaneous. The Holy Spirit is speaking today to me. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I need to be set free from the things that are binding me. I need new purpose and direction in my life. Right before I have Pastor Kevin and Pastor Renee come, I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask just simply by saying, Pastor Rich, would you pray for me? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your finances. But it's the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Will you be spontaneous today by just lifting up your hand and say, pray for me? Would you do that? Come on. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. My grandfather made a spontaneous decision and it changed our line of Geras forever. What would happen to you if today you would make that decision? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that today I can be forgiven of my sin. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I have not been obedient to your word. I been disobedient so I'm asking today just ask him Lord forgive me of my sin come into my life and be my Lord and Savior I surrender my life to you take control of my life I need you and just like this woman left thanking and praising God you can leave thanking and praising God because not only can you be set free from your sin you can be delivered from what binds you I believe as she walked closer to Jesus, the more she stood up straight. By the time she got there, her hands were raised, and she began to worship God today. That can be you today. Those things that have bound you can be now set free. Those who have been set free are free indeed, the Bible says. The Bible says greater is, it, is he that is in us than he that's in this world. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through him. Today, you can be set free, and Lord, today you can give us a new vision new purpose, new direction in our life. I thank you for what you're going to do in this church. That's La Mesa Christ Point Life Church. This is a new day, a new vision, a new, out a new anointing, a new outpouring of your Holy Spirit. God, we stand on the shoulders of great men and women, but God, it's our turn to say, God, let this church once again make an impact in this community 
that people will be drawn here because of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. Thank you for a handful of people that are making a commitment today to see this church be a church of the community. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. In the next five minutes, and then we will all hug each other, and you will take time to hug your pastors. But I'd like to officially install uh, Pastor Craig and Pastor Renee as the pastors of this church. So I'm going to ask Pastor Craig and Renee to come join me on this side. And if you are part of the uh, leadership or the board or the elders or the staff, you stand on this side because... Today, we have here what we call a charge, a challenge. It can't be just them. It's got to be all of us. As I said, we all have to reach out. Not just them. We all have to reach out. 29% of all pastors in America are quitting because they're wore out. They're tired. They feel like no one's there to help them. They're not going to be a statistic because of you. So, Pastor Craig and Pastor Renee, from the pastoral epistles, I want to read to you that I think speaks to this moment as we install Pastor Craig and Pastor Renee as pastors of Cross Point Life Church. 1 Timothy 3.1 says, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Meaning, this is a call. He didn't like, well, I guess I'll do this. It's a call of God. If you're not called to be a pastor, get out. <laughs> it's a call, he says. He says in verse chapter 4, don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and purity. Devote yourself to public reading of Scripture to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholeheartedly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and the hearers. I've often tell churches that there are three roles for a healthy church. Number one, Listen, listen to me. First, pastors guide. They are called to guide this church. Pastors are the ones that are given the vision for the church. I lead 495 churches. They look to me for vision for the network. But secondly, boards or elders guard they guard. They guard the integrity of your pastors. They guard the integrity of your finances. They're guardians. The pastor should never have to defend himself. Why? Because he has these guardians that defend him. The problem is when boards want to guide instead of guard, then you get in trouble. And finally, all of you, members' gift. It's your gift you bring. Now, if you think you want to guide, then go be a pastor somewhere. Because that's not your call as a member. You gift your time, your talent, and your tithe. If you can keep that correct. See, the miracle of Acts 2 wasn't just that the 120 
got baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. One of the miracles was you could get 120 agree on one thing. <laughs> that power of unity, the power of agreement. God always blesses. What's hurting our church isn't the enemy from the outside. Listen to me. It's this disunity from the inside that is hurting our churches. So Pastor Craig and Relay, let me offer some words to you. These are not concepts that you do not know, but at this critical juncture in your life and ministry, it's well to remind them. Number one, be a man and woman of integrity. Without character, you have no ministry. Giftedness is not a substitute for integrity. Giftedness might get you by for a while, but effective ministry is built on a life of integrity. Second, be a man and woman of prayer. Intercede for your family. Intercede for your church. Intercede for the lost. Intercede for the city. It is God's will for you to daily come before him and intercede and pray a prayer for those around you. Effective ministry is implemented by the power of prayer. Thirdly, be a servant. Lead by serving. If need be, take a towel and a basin of water, just as Jesus did, and be willing to wash another's feet. I quickly add that this doesn't mean that you have to do everything for everybody wants you to do. Remember that people's expectations are higher than God's command. Be servants is the attitude and the spirit in which effective ministry is accomplished. And finally, be an evangelist. While it's true that God has called you to be a pastor, you must not overlook the work of the evangelist. A lost world demands it. A lost city requires it. A lost family's need it. You must be a soul winner, not just for you because of your profession, because you're a Christian. Every Christian needs to be an evangelist because we have the greatest message the world has ever heard. Now, I challenge the board and the leadership team Number one, embrace the pastor's vision. Just as Aaron and her lifted up Moses' hands when they did, the battle went well. When Moses' hand began to fall, the battle turned against them. Spiritual battle today continues to rage. Your pastor's is at the forefront of this battle, and he and she needs you to stand with them and embrace their vision. Secondly, champion their vision. Don't let other people undercut your relationship with your pastor. You are not in your position to curb his vision, but to give wise counsel for its fulfillment. Be encouragers. Look for opportunities to lift up their burdens, and you should be the biggest champions of the vision of this church. And thirdly, resource the pastor's vision that God gives to this church. You are responsible to provide adequate finances for your pastor and his family. In addition to all the pressures of leadership, he or she does not need the pressures of finances. And finally, to the congregation. That's all of you. Number one, be willing workers. When they say we need something done, you should be the first one. I'll do it. Sign me up. I'd be happy to do it, Pastor. Better yet, I wouldn't even wait. I would come now, say, where can I serve? Second, be good followers. Good leadership requires good followers. Your pastor is a great leader, and I'm sure that they would say that you are good followers. The sheep love to follow a loving shepherd. And finally, be in prayer daily for your pastor and his family. 
The pastor is constantly under attack. And when the enemy can't reach the pastor, he goes after children. I was just recently at general counsel and we prayed for pastors' families and half the audience came forward praying for their kids. You need to lift them up daily in prayer. I ask you to join me now as you stand to your feet. Would you all stand? Uh, Let me first say, Pastor uh, Craig and Renee, do you accept this covenant today? The leadership and the eldership, do you accept this covenant today? Members, do you accept this covenant today? Yes, amen. All right, we got it. It's, we're going to go seal the deal with a meal as soon as this search is over because I believe God's going to bless you. So what I'm going to ask all the leaders surround Pastor Craig and Renee and the rest of you stretch your hand out towards them. This is what... The New Testament tells us to stretch your hand out in apostolic fashion. And we're going to pray for God's covering, God's anointing, God's vision, God's power. And you're going to be a part of that. So would you join me in prayer right now? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have raised a man and woman with a passion. They are ordained ministers of the Assembly of God. Our organization recognized it, but before our organization recognized it, you already recognized it. And Lord, we now offer them to you to lead this church, God, where you want it to be. And Lord, I thank you that their leadership is saying, we embrace your vision. We will champion your vision. We are going to resource your vision with our time, our talent, our tithe, because we believe that this church is destined to be what it is always called to be, a lighthouse into this community. God, I thank you. Those that are online, God, I pray that they will continue, God, to embrace and and support and, and champion and, God, do all they can to help the vision of this church reach this community for Jesus. God, I thank you today for these wonderful people of this church. It says we will stand with you You're not going to go alone. We're going to stand with you, and we are going to rejoice in all the wonderful miracles God's going to do in this house. So, Lord, we offer them to you, and we give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Pastor uh, Craig and Renee on... On the basis of a call extended to you by the board in this congregation on behalf of the Southern California District Council of the Assembly of God, I officially install you as lead pastors of La Mesa Cross Point Live Church. Congratulations. Every one of our pastors I uh, install, I give them this SoCal Network coffee cup. I have one just like this. And every morning I drink my coffee and I pray for our pastors. My, uh, my challenge to you is when you drink, pray for me. Okay, God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Frank. God bless you.